Good morning, friends. <clears throat> um, <laughs> that's such a kind introduction, but uh, my son is here. He knows the real deal. <laughs> uh, let me uh, read to us our passage. It comes from Acts and Second Timothy, and uh, let's consider what God would have us uh, learn today. Uh, reading today comes from Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, and then Second Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Then 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me uh, pray very quickly on our behalf. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, encourage us with your truth, uh, convict us where we need to be convicted, and um, help us to be a better church, better people. Uh, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we're at the end of Acts, and uh, the obvious statement is that Paul has finished his race. Yeah, he's been faithful until the end. And I think that the longer you live, you can appreciate this. Uh, when I was at Westminster Seminary, I remember uh, my New Testament professor, uh, Dr. Richard Gaffin, was being... Um, Inaugurated, he had received a special chair, and Dr. Ferguson was giving the message. And I remember this repeated refrain that Dr. Ferguson said. He said, So many begin, but so few finish. So many begin, but so few finish. And you you can attest to that even as you think about your life and you think about how many people you know have uh, either completely abandoned the faith or simply coasting. So the question of finishing well, like the Apostle Paul, is actually very relevant. And um, I, wish, I wish it was actually very formulaic, just do A, B, and C, but it's not. It's not that formulaic. And at the same time, I think that these last two verses in Acts uh, help us to consider how Paul was able to finish so that we also can finish the race uh, set before us, right? And so I just want to think, think with you about that question. How can we finish well along three, uh, three suggestions? Number one is this. I think you have to have a handle on suffering. You have to have a mature handle on suffering. So that's number one. Number two is you have to believe that God, God is sovereign, and he will bring uh, to completion every good work he has started. So God is not going to give up, and so we shouldn't give up. That's number two. And number three... Um, you have to love the one who has first loved us first. It's love. And so I think those three things are given in this text. Again, understand suffering, 
Number two, believe that God will be faithful to his own task. And number three, love the one that has first loved you. Okay, and so let's go through that uh, somewhat quickly. <clears throat> first, uh, we're told that Paul lived in Rome uh, for two whole years at his own expense, meaning he was under house arrest and he had to subsidize it. And this is just another example of how much, as you know from working through the book of Acts, how much Paul had to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And, you know, like when you read through Acts, I mean, you name it, he went through it. He was beaten. And the example I was thinking about this week especially was when he was shipwrecked. And I think this is a great way to understand and appreciate this. Uh, Many of you have flown, right? And... uh, I personally, I don't like flying that much, but whenever it's turbulent, you know, on the flight, what's the first thing you do? This is what I do all the time. I look at the flight attendant, and if he or she is calm, then you know it's going to be okay. But if he's sweating, right, you know this is not going to end well. And I was thinking about this because in Acts chapter 27, we're told that uh, Paul's on this ship, and the sailors are scared. And you know it's not going to end well. And that, that's just one example of Paul going through uh, suffering after suffering, which, which shouldn't surprise us because Jesus had said to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And even in 2 Timothy, Paul says, anyone that wants to live for the gospel will suffer, right? And I think it's helpful to just understand why suffering is inevitable, why it's absolutely inevitable, right? And you can look at it individually, and you can look at it corporately from the perspective of the gospel. But why does suffering come when we try to live for the gospel? And individually, this is one reason why. Um, We live, as uh, Dr. Carl Truman, in his fantastic book, it's called uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's a fantastic book. Uh, we live in an age that exalt, exalts the self. And there's probably no one that has better said this than Elsa uh, in that song, Let It Go. There's this really a great line where she says, it's time to see what I can do. I know you all know the song, right? Uh, to test the limits and uh, break through. And then what does she say? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, the rise of the self. In that context, the gospel comes and says, no, you're not, Elsa. Jesus is the Lord. And we can intuit why when people understand that at the center of the gospel is the declaration that Jesus is the Lord, why many people would reject it, why suffering would come as we try to tell people, no, it's not all about you, but it's what? About the Lord Jesus. See, that, that's what it means to have a mature understanding of why suffering is almost inevitable. But let's consider it like corporately. How is it that the gospel that does say all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, why does that lead to suffering? And this, this might be helpful. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller, <clears throat> in his book um, on Galatians, he says the following. He says this. Without the gospel, our hearts have to manufacture self-esteem by comparing our group with other groups. 
But the gospel tells us we are all unclean without Christ and all clean in him. So if you are a member of a racial majority, your race's cultural pride is fairly easy to see. If you are a member of a racial minority that is often put down, the sermon of justification through racial pride is a bit more complex, but it surfaces when you begin to think, I'm more noble than you of the dominant race. I have suffered more, and I'm not an oppressor like you. This is what Dr. uh, Tim Keller is getting at, and this is a great example of how the gospel, it it has a way of offending everyone. Um, You may have guessed this. I'm Asian, right? Uh, My last name is often pronounced Jeanne, and so people uh, suspect that I'm a tall French, um, very sophisticated individual that looks like Dr. Bill Fulloff, but I'm not. (laughs) And so I grew up, and, you know, I experienced a lot of racism. It was just, um, there's this one memory that really sticks out to me. I was about six, and I was at a convenience store with my mother, and she was asking the clerk just a question. And even as a six-year-old, I remember this vividly. Uh, you know, her English wasn't, wasn't all that good. So he kept mocking her. He said, what'd you say? What'd you say? Would you, why, why don't you go back and first learn English and then come back? And um, I remember my mother was saying, that's not nice. That's not nice. That's not nice, right? And as a six-year-old, I, I just, I remember that memory very well. But this is what Dr. Keller says, which is so nuanced. He says, if you're part of the majority race, you should not think that you are superior. However, he says it so well, that just because you're part of the minority does not think you should be better than those that think they're better than anyone else. You know, there's there's truth that those who are oppressed tend to oppress. You see, the gospel has a way of leveling leveling out the playing field by saying, All have sinned, whether you're part of the majority or the minority. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, as we saw in Acts, in other words, the gospel has a way of offending the wisdom of the Gentiles, and it has become a stumbling block to the Jews. And this is why Paul says, you know, suffering is inevitable. Dr. Paul Tripp, he has this uh, great book about marriage. Those of you that are married, you know, you've probably heard of this book, or the title is great. This is what the title of his book is on marriage. What did you expect? Isn't that a great title for, it's not happily ever, it's like, what did you expect? And I love that title because uh, Dr. Tripp is getting at this point. He says, your expectations will color your experience. And if anyone thinks that following Jesus means happily ever after, then you will be sorely disappointed. However, if you understand that aligning yourself with the gospel, that tells the self, it's not all about you, it's Jesus is the Lord, that tells every person, whether you're part of the majority or minority, we're all sinful, right? Paul is saying that you have to expect suffering will be part of your life. And that's why setting expectations, right, really makes a difference. When you have this mature understanding that suffering is inevitable if you decide to really follow Christ. So that's number one, friends, right? If you want to endure, you have to really believe that suffering is just part of the game, all right? So that's number one. Number two, uh, we're told this at the end of verse, uh, verse 30. It says this, 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Now, this is very significant, that uh, term all, because it brings us back to chapter 1, verse 8, which uh, Matthew, he mentioned at the beginning of service, uh, where uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it basically has the thesis of what Acts is all about, that Jesus' disciples would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the point that Luke is making in Acts is that no matter what happened, there were so many reasons for the gospel not to go forward, so many reasons for it not to happen. But Luke's point here is that God's sovereign purposes cannot be thwarted, right? And so as the uh, story of Acts unfolds, we see that uh, the church faced persecution, but not only did it face persecution, it suffered from internal division. Uh, the leaders proved to be incompetent at critical stages, right? So when you look at uh, the church and Acts, there was every reason for it to fail, and yet it continued to move forward because God is committed to his sovereign purposes, right? And this is why Paul in 2 Timothy, he's able to say, even if we deny him, he will not deny himself. In other words, what Paul is getting at is this, right, is a mission that will not fail because God is committed to it, right? One of the best illustrations of, like, this idea that it's going to, nothing can thwart God's purposes, uh, it comes from, um, do you remember that movie from way back, uh, Jurassic Park, the original? So if you remember, there's this really great scene, and um, you have the scientists that have come on the scene, and they, they're mesmerized by these dinosaurs, but this is what happens. Um, they ask, so if you remember Dr. Ian Malcolm, he says this, um, you know, how do you keep the dinosaurs from reproducing in population control, right? And he asks this, how do you know that they're actually all female? Because that's the explanation that's given. All the dinosaurs are female, and so we're able to control the population. And he says, how do you know they're all female? And Henry Wu, one of the scientists, says, we control their chromosomes. It's really not that difficult. All vertebrae embryos, um, embryos are inherently female anyway. They just require an extra hormone given at the right development stages to make them male. We simply deny them that. And then Dr. Malcolm says this, the kind of control you're attempting simply is, it's not possible. If there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and crashes through barriers, painfully, maybe even dangerously. And then Dr. Henry Wu says, you're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? And this is the memorable line. No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life finds a way. And then, as you know, the dinosaurs uh, wreak havoc in every sequel. The same thing happens. No one ever learns, right? Life finds a way. And Dr. Malcolm, he's getting at this point. He says, you can't stop it. It's unstoppable, right? In many ways, that's what we see in the book of Acts, that God's purposes to bring the gospel to all people is unstoppable. And that's why at the very end, when Luke says, and Paul proclaimed the gospel to all, right? When you think about that statement from the perspective of the entire book, it's an amazing thing. And it's only possible 
because God is committed to his own glory. He's committed to his own cause, right? And what difference does this make? What difference does this make um, in terms of su- enduring suffering? How can we remain unwavering? I think one of the uh, best ways to think about it is like this. And so some of you may keep up with like the financial news. And um, as many of you know, cryptocurrency has been in the news, right? And um, there's this thing called Bitcoin. Some of you may have heard of it. And it's a cryptocurrency that uh, fluctuates. Apparently right now it's at uh, 60,000 or something like that. Imagine 10 years ago, you knew Bitcoin would just skyrocket in value, right? When I think it was selling at like maybe $10. Let's say 10 years ago, you knew for sure, without any doubt, this is where Bitcoin is going to end up, right? Do you think you would have been able to endure all the ups and downs? Absolutely. Because you have sure knowledge. You're absolutely confident. You're able to see the future. You know that even though cryptocurrency suffers vast fluctuations going up and down, you know that even if your million dollars goes from million to $10, in the end, you'll be fine, right? What difference would it make? While everyone else you know, is anxious, while everyone else gets nervous, you are able to endure because you know how the story ends. You see, in the book of uh, Acts, that's what Luke is saying. Paul knew right, how the ending would come about. He knew that in the end, God would accomplish his purposes. right? And we see that, and ultimately we know that Jesus will return. And he says, if you believe that, then you will be able to endure as well. See, and so friends, this is why we're able to say as believers, we have insider knowledge, you might say. We know how the story will end. We know that God is committed to his purposes, and this is why we can endure in every good work, which leads us to our last point. So those are at least two reasons, but probably there's no more powerful force than the power of love. We read in 2 Timothy that Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith, right? But I would argue that this summarizes not just Paul's life, but a much greater person's life, Jesus. When you think about Jesus, Jesus is really the only one that was able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. This is why the author of Hebrews, he has this great line. He says, let us run with endurance. But then he says, by looking to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. The author of Hebrews is getting at this great principle that to the degree that you see that Jesus fought the good fight for you, to the degree that you see that he finished the race for you, to the degree that you see that he was faithful until the end, to that degree, you will be able to do the same. You see, when you grasp that Jesus loved you with all his heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, in turn, you can do the same. And Paul knew this personally, as you know from reading the book of Acts. Uh, Before Paul was the champion of the church, he was basically the church's worst nightmare, uh, the uh, strongest opponent And yet by the grace of God, by the experience of Jesus' love, he became its uh, most, you might say, faithful proponent. And again, this is why it's so important to know that there are very few things that will enable us to endure more than love for the one that has loved us first. 
Um, I was thinking, I was trying to think about a great uh, example from literature. And so during COVID, uh, I reread, I think I shared this with you last time, the Harry Potter series, right? And uh, my son, who, who is a scholar in the Harry Potter world, we had an interesting uh, discussion this week. And I asked, um, in the entire Harry Potter n- uh, narrative, what is the best example of love? All right, so we had this debate. And uh, the most obvious answer that many people give is when Lily Potter sacrifices herself to you know, save Harry. And I was saying, yeah, that's true. I mean, no one can deny a mother's love. That's true. But I said, I think one of the most powerful examples of love comes from Severus Snape, right? And there's that famous line when Dumbledore says, you still love Lily? And do you remember how he responds? He says, always. And when you look at the Harry Potter narrative, by by the way, if you haven't read it, Sorry, I'm just giving away everything right now. <laughs> but it's been out for a while, in all fairness. But um, so Severus Snape, he's actually a good guy. All right, just sorry to give it away. But because he loves Lily, he basically becomes this double agent. And um, at one point, Dumbledore says, in order to maintain your cover, you have to kill me. And uh, Snape doesn't want to, but he does it. And um, during that time, all of the professors at Hogwarts, they think of him as a traitor. And because of like, his commitment to protect Harry, Harry actually hates him. And so basically, when you look at Severus, I look at him, I'm like, mm, that guy was a brave guy. Brave, and um, he's willing to be misunderstood right, for the sake of Harry Potter. And yet, if you look at the Harry Potter series, you can't help but ask this question. How was he able to endure all of this? How was, he, uh, being, how was he able to endure being misunderstood? All of the above, we would say what? It was because he loved Lily, always. And there are countless examples in your life, in my life, where we see the power of love, right? How was Paul able to endure, right? It wasn't simply, it wasn't simply that he realized, cognitively, theologically, cerebrally, okay, Jesus loves me, right? And I'll end with this. I think that this is what happened. Those of you that are parents, have you noticed this principle? In general, you appreciate what your parents did for you when you become a parent. I think every parent knows this, right? And I would suggest that as Christians, we cognitively, intellectually, We understand what Jesus has done for us, right? But existentially, personally, powerfully, you get what Jesus has done for you and me when you actually participate in suffering. You see, when Paul was being beaten, the refrain that Jesus was beaten, it meant a very different thing. When Paul suffered abandonment, he better understood what it meant for Jesus to be abandoned in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Paul was shipwrecked and out at sea, he better understood what it meant for Jesus, right, to suffer and drown under the wrath of God. And this is why, friends, I want to encourage you, right, what does it mean for us to run the race well? I would say what Paul says to um, his son, 2 Timothy. Paul says, join with me in suffering for the gospel, participate in this, right? And in doing so, 
therein you will experience the love of Christ in even that much greater. Because then it makes sense, right? You really see what Jesus has done, and because of that, you understand his love better, and in turn, you are able to go and do likewise. Let's go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for uh, the McLean family. Uh, this is such a great church, and you have done so many great things in this church and through this church. And um, I pray that you would give all of them, but especially the leaders, endurance to complete every good work. God, we pray that you would deepen our understanding of suffering. Paul said it so clearly. He said, everyone that wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. And so help us not to be surprised by suffering for the sake of the gospel. And at the same time, help us to believe that because you are committed to the gospel, because you are committed to the cause of the gospel, in the end, nothing that we do in faith is ever in vain. So I pray that we would continue in every good work that you have set before us. But finally, help us to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith because of the one, Jesus, who fought the good fight, who ran the race, and who kept the faith for my salvation. Help us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our salvation, as we continue to do our very best to endure in every good work. It's in his name we pray. Amen.